Friday, October 21st. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. The college basketball season actually tips off three weeks from today. And the big games on that Friday night are going to be uh, Michigan State, Arizona, Kansas, Indiana. Both games are going to be in Hawaii. And the Spartans are going to be shorthanded, we learned earlier this week. We're going to talk about that a little later on. But the big news of the week obviously happened at Louisville. Uh, NCAA sent its notice of allegations to the University of Louisville and detailed four level one violations. Those, of course, are the most serious. They had 14 confirmed, uh, I guess what's best described as sex parties thrown by Andre McGee with hookers and strippers. Uh, They did not get a lack of institutional control charge, though, but Rick Pitino was charged, the Hall of Fame coach, uh, with failure to monitor Andre McGee. Uh, Your thoughts on this, Matt Norlander? My thoughts are relatively good timing for the NCAA overall. I know the investigation took a year, but this is an unprecedented case. Really, there's never been anything remotely like it before. Uh, I thought Dan Wetzel wrote a pretty great column over at Yahoo, and he, his first thoughts on it were something I tweeted uh, after all this stuff came out. <laughs> Eric Crawford does a great job covering the team down in Kentucky. It basically, just the verbiage used you know, with... There were two denied sex acts, by the way, for people that want to claim sex is undefeated. That's not quite true. It's how just str- how strong are those kids? I know. Sex is batting like 980 in the hi- <laughs> in the history of human civilization. But it hard, is hard, just... hard to turn down sex when you're a young man. I mean, honestly. Or an old man, listen, really. You want to know can, I know. We can joke about it. But it's, it's so very true, honestly. When you are a 17-year-old on a recruiting trip at a major uh, university college basketball power and this kind of stuff is going on, I mean – I'm frankly a little shocked by that. But yes, numerous sex acts. It is surreal um, to to kind of even just take a step back and remind yourself what this case actually is. Um, Took a year for them to flesh everything out. And whereas I think some people were hesitant to believe a lot of this stuff because of the source that it came from. uh, And it all emanated from a book, Katina Powell's book. Louisville has basically, you know, through its own investigations and corroborations and the NCAA, it's 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 said, you know, most of, if not all of what has been alleged here basically happened. But Patino uh, Powell, Patina Powell has said, you know, she has suspicions that Patino would truly not ever know. There's never been any evidence to show that he did know. I do believe he did not know. I, I will go on record and say that. I think I've said that on the podcast before, because ultimately, if you're a low level staffer like Andre McGee, dealing with this kind of stuff, I would presume that you're going to try as best as you possibly can to not let your boss know, particularly Patino, who had been in some you know, serious sex scandals before. Um, so I do believe he wasn't aware. I understand there are plenty of people that are very cynical about that. Whether he should have responsibility, the separate question we'll get to momentarily. But my takeaways from all of this, let's remember you know, these NCAA stories, I feel fans can sometimes get a little clouded on the timelines of all these things these are charges we do not have penalties yet let's remember that louisville did have a self-imposed postseason ban last season i do not think anything of that nature is going to be coming again louisville has responded that it will formally respond to the ncaa um with some of these charges particularly patino's failure to monitor and so that will be another step if any potential uh, sanctions come from the NCAA, 
that won't take place until next season at the earliest. Louisville's also docked itself, I believe, four scholarships across this season and next season and has some limited um, recruiting official visits stuff and some of the smaller stuff like that. But overall, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a big story. Uh, I'll kind of pivot this to you, GP, and, and ask you, do you think two, – uh, two-parter here. One, uh, people have asked about the questions of if they'll lose the banner. Personally, I don't think that is on the table. I don't think they're going to take the banner, but do you? And then two, uh, punishment for Patino, do you think he will? And what kind of suspension would you find appropriate? Uh, let's, we'll talk Patino first. Um, okay. I agree with you first and foremost. I, I don't believe he knew that this was going on, if only because it defies logic to to think that he knew and allowed that to go on. And I and let me be clear, because uh, when I I've tweeted this before and people push back on it, like, oh, you're covering for Rick Pitino. I'm not trying to tell you he's a saint. I don't think Rick would tell you he's a saint. But and I, and I'm not telling you that he wouldn't turn his head to somebody on his staff doing something outside of the rule book to lure a recruit or keep a recruit or whatever. I'm not naive to the way college basketball recruiting works, but this is so on another level. In in other words, you might not have a problem as a head coach with somebody on your staff, you know, taking a AAU coach to a strip club. Or arranging for a party for uh, a kid's guardian. But, but like keeping it very small, one-on-one, that kind of stuff. The idea that any head coach would want somebody on his staff. Like think about it in these terms. Literally involving dozens of different people in level one violations. That's just insane. Like to the extent that cheating goes on, it is usually kept in pretty small circles. Or at least that that that's always the goal. Anyway, the idea that Rick Pitino would be okay with Andre McGee involving all sorts of different women who he does not know, plus every member of his team, plus recruits, plus their coaches, plus their friends in this in these what they are at the core is sex filled parties. What they are in the NCAA. Uh, building is level one violations. The idea that you would want someone in your staff, including dozens of different people, creating all these witnesses to level one violations is insane. I, I don't think any coach in America would be down with that, Rick Pitino included. Beyond that, even if for whatever reason you you were like, hey, whatever, whatever it takes to get the kid on campus, you wouldn't have that stuff going on on campus. Like it, it would happen at a house off campus, a hotel off campus. The idea that you would want somebody on your staff bringing hookers to an on-campus dorm, named na- after named after your brother, like get out of here! Like I just, that, I just that guy, the nine eleven, all that stuff. Yeah. I just don't buy it for a second. Now, if the conversation is should he have known, I'll listen to that. Although, I had another coach bring this up to me. I'll just, I'll see what you make of it, because it sounds awful. Because it is awful. Let's just let's start there. It is awful, but it's like. 14 sex-filled parties with prostitutes and strippers. And then you look at the calendar, and it was 14 from 2010 to 2014. So it's basically like a five-year period, okay? So it's basically three a year, three to four a year, which means one 
every three or four months. So is it really so hard to believe that a coach wouldn't know something that happened with his basketball team late on a Saturday night every three to four months? Like, is that crazy? I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know that that's crazy. I, I, or at least I can find it believable. I don't believe every coach when they say, I didn't know what was going on in my program. I can sort of see how you wouldn't know that this was happening. Because it was obviously happening late at night when you're not around your team. And also, if you knew it was happening, you would have. I genuinely believe any coach in America would have put a, a stop to it. I agree with that. And people can be cynical. I understand that. And with Patino, he is among the easiest fodder for cynicism and jokes. But ultimately, I, I do believe that he would have made an absolute stop to this to his greatest power if he had known about it. If only, so, because, if only because it's so sloppy. Yes. Now forget even that it's like awful. It's just sloppy. It's a it, forget that it's against the rules and against most people's moral codes. It's it's just a sloppy way to cheat. You know, in in uh, as it relates to the college basketball rule book. If for if you don't if you don't give him credit, Rick, and and I understand. Like if you don't give him credit for anything else, give him credit for at least being smart enough to know if we're gonna cheat, we can't do it having seven hookers and and recruits and and this big party in an on-campus dorm that's insane at least give him credit for not being that dumb to be so sloppy i agree all right what are your thoughts on the banner i don't think they'll bring it down um, i don't think there's any chance they bring it down they i i wouldn't i would never take it completely off the table uh, here's all right well, well here's real quick here's okay. why I, I judging by the nature of the charges and it being more on patino I just don't see, and with what Louisville's already done to self-sanction, obviously never say never. I don't, since the NCAA has never taken down a national championship banner, I just don't believe that the evidence we have here, what's been uncovered and charged on top of what Louisville's already self-sanctioned, I don't believe this is the watershed case that prompts the NCAA to take Louisville's banner. I think it would have to be something bigger than this. For as bizarre and weird as this case is, I just I, I cannot picture the banner going down. Here's what I would say. First off, that Louisville has already self-imposed postseason ban, scholarships, all that stuff, um, should have n nothing to do with the banner. Um, I, I think those are two totally different deals. I agree with you. I don't think they'll bring it down. They've obviously never brought one down. And though the headline is, sex-filled parties, prostitutes, strippers, uh, the truth is it's $5,400 in impermissible benefits uh, over f over a five-year period involving, I think, like 17 different players and recruits, all right? So the story is salacious and terrible. The, the amount of improper benefits ain't really that much relative to what we've heard of in other NCAA cases. So... For those reasons, I think they'll be able to justify not bringing it down. But I'm not sure they shouldn't bring it down, and here's why. Um, we obviously don't know all the details yet about which recruits were involved, which players were involved, who accepted impermissible benefits in the forms of lap in the form of lap dances and sex. But I mean, you just look at the timeline; it, it defies logic to 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 assume. Somebody on that 2013 national championship team. Somebody who played in the game. Um, the well, last yeah, I mean, there have been photos of 
uh, Bahannon right. with some of the you know women right. involved. So yes. like somebody who was on that court winning that national championship was was in involved in this, and it, it and it could have been somebody who was just a recruit at the time. In other words, it's somebody who was picking between Louisville and Kentucky and Indiana and whomever and went to Louisville for an official visit, got wrapped up in this situation, and then picked Louisville for whatever reason it picked Louisville. But uh, clearly, if you just read the text messages from Andre McGee, these parties were designed, at least in part, to be um, a recruiting advantage. To, to serve as, like, the text messages are, we got a big recruit coming in, Coach P really needs this kid, I need you to have some girls over. Like, clearly, the staff, or at least Andre McGee, thought that doing this would help with recruiting. And so, let's just connect the dots here. If you cheated to get a recruit, and then that recruit enrolled, played in the 2012-13 season, and stepped on the court in that national championship game, that means you cheated to get somebody who helped you win a national championship. Why do you get to keep the national championship? I I, I know they probably will. Just explain to me why. <laughs> there there is a there is a case to be it's made hard, there. It's hard to argue against that, isn't it? It is, but you could counter argue it with you you can't explicitly prove that the parties were why certain recruits would have picked Louisville or yeah, but that's never mattered in the past. Like if, um, you know, like, well, yeah, but we're talking about a huger issue, a bigger issue here in regard to taking down a banner. So yeah, that's why, that's why, that's why I think I'm going to interrupt you, but that's why I think, um, I don't think there should be different definition, different guidelines for vacating seasons based on whether it's a banner or not. Like, well, we can make Southern Miss vacate all these games because who cares? It's Southern Miss. They didn't win a championship. Or we can make Syracuse vacate all these games because, you know, we're not going to make them vacate a championship, but these other however many games, we're going to vacate those. Like, I don't think – like, you either you either, you either either make people vacate for reasons or you don't. The the What they happen to accomplish in that season shouldn't determine whether they have to vacate or not. That doesn't make sense to me. Um like, like, aren't you anti-vacating though? Yeah. Oh, here's the other thing. Let me be clear. I don't give a. Sh- I don't care. I was about to say a cuss word, and we're <laughs> we're forbidden for whatever. Do you know why we are not allowed to cuss on this podcast? Uh, it's a CBS podcast. That's all I got for you. Every other podcast I've ever listened to, people are like f this and f that and gd <laughs> and like and then, and then we 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 actually like get in trouble. <laughs> not in trouble, but we get an email saying, "Hey, watch your mouth. Clean your mouth." That was so. So anyway, I didn't cuss. Uh, credit to me. But like, I really don't care. Like, if somebody vacates or not, it doesn't. Like, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's a, you know, I, you know, I, I was at that Final Four. I'll forever remember Louisville winning a national championship. If somebody ever asked me who won the national championship in 2013, I will say Rick Pitino's Louisville Cardinals, regardless of how the NCAA um, approaches this. That said, just from strictly a a common sense perspective, uh, like why if. If we say you can't do these certain things to to lure recruits to your campus, and then you do them, and then we catch you, but and then but but we don't catch you until after you've already used those recruits to to accomplish some things, and we have a history of making people vacate seasons because of that. Why not Louisville? Like Memphis had to 
vacate an entire season 2007-2008 because retroactively Derrick Rose was ruled ineligible. So if you retroactively rule um, you know, Montrez Harrell ineligible, was he on that team? Uh, Russ Smith ineligible, Shane Bahannon ineligible, any, any, any one person, it doesn't have to be the star, anybody. If you cheated to get a player and then that player helped you win a national championship and then the NCAA catches you, uh, you know, several years later, having cheated to get that player, why do you not have to vacate? I, that, like, I would like for somebody to well, explain it to me. Yeah, well, and there are probably people listening that have another recent uh, turn of events on their minds as we discussed the Louisville thing because there's no, there's no consistency here. The NCAA None. has eliminated <laughs> Syracuse, hundreds of Syracuse wins tied to, obviously, the investigation and the case with all of that, but... Mike Waters, who covers the team locally there and does a great job, had reported this week that the NCAA has taken the wins but not removed the banners. So with Syracuse, you've got a situation right there where all of these wins that Bayheim and the program had are officially off the books, okay? But the banners from when they won the Big East, this includes the incredible run that McNamara had as a senior, 0506 when Bayheim said we wouldn't have won 10 bleeping games without McNamara this year, those wins are now gone. But the banners will still hang and are still there. So there's no sort of consistency here. And obviously there's it's, it's innately hypocritical for the NCAA to do one thing with the vacating of wins and not take down the banners. I ultimately think it's not only hypocritical, it's nonsensical. It doesn't, even, it, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, Totally, I totally agree with with that, without a doubt. And I'm also, largely speaking, I'm anti-vacating. Uh, to me, it's, yes, it has impact because we write about it, talk about it, programs respond, and it's off like the official books. But I, there's just something that feels so hollow about it. But at the same time, the NCAA has such little power to change things retroactively. It's really the only thing that they could possibly do. Because you want to have a balance between punishment in the past and not crippling a program in the future with so many people that might not have anything to do with the issues that are going on there. But the stuff with the Syracuse uh, news this week, the fact they've never taken a banner down, I think your point about extra benefits, and this is $5,400 is a massive one. Uh, because obviously $5,400 is a lot of money to a lot of people, but within the confines and structures of a program, specifically one, I believe Louisville profits more as a men's basketball program than any in the country and has for the past half decade. It's absolutely nothing whatsoever. Uh, I just don't foresee it. Now, if it happens, by the way, if they, if I'm dead wrong on this, they take the banner down. Uh, obviously, it's a huge move, but, uh, you know, and one case doesn't tie to another uh, we are have talked so much of GP about how Carolina is really not going to have much punishment. We don't expect on the basketball side in their case because we they've already received their notice of allegations, and within that, Roy Williams is not mentioned. The basketball program is is largely ignored uh, within that academic scandal. So does the NCAA and its committee on infractions, knowing that that is the that's the most high profile one, more than the Louisville one. The Louisville one's weirder. The UNC one's more corrupt. Um, does it put more punishment on Louisville knowing that the Carolina one, it's going to get below back. People aren't going to care that, you know, the specific details of it. I just, I just, I don't nearly, I believed originally parish 
that the banners were going to come down with Carolina. Now that's not going to happen. When you, if you look at the notice of allegations, that's the, the day the, the day that the NCAA has to rule in North Carolina is going to be a terrible day for the NCAA. Yes, because most people don't understand or or don't care about the details. They just know that a whole bunch of basketball players were taking classes that did not exist and remained eligible forever, and that that's a problem. And the NCAA will be able to because North Carolina lawyered up real good, uh, explain why they can't hold basketball responsible or football responsible. But the casual sports fan is not going to accept that at all. Nope. And I would say even, you know, just drive-by commentators and writers, uh, when that comes, it's going to be a pretty bad day for the NCAA. Ultimately, the NCAA has to have awareness and knows that, these major cases with Syracuse and Louisville and North Carolina. And if you look on the football side with Ole Miss being under investigation, there's been a bevy of big programs that have been investigated and charges and punishments that have come down. The comparisons are made. The problem for the NCAA, and we can wrap this up pretty soon here because mm-hmm. I know we're rambling, but this is a problem that will never go away. No two cases are alike. You simply cannot slot punishments, actions, violations into neat little columns and expect that you're going to have everything perfectly falling into place for how you should punish each school. It's just it's never going to happen. Unfortunately, it's just the way that the NCAA has set up its judicial system. It is forever imperfect. And because of that, it makes for an easy target. I do believe that the people on the Committee on Infractions try and do their best the best possible job that they possibly can given impossible circumstances. But ultimately, this Louisville case, which won't be decided for many, many months, will get compared to the Carolina case, will get compared to Syracuse and so on and so forth. And so the one, the way I just keep the, the door cracked is, do they, do they go hard on Louisville for, for this, knowing that the Carolina, there's going to be massive fallout for that? It's not justified that they they should do that that they should compare one versus the other but if they have any sort of self-awareness and they just don't want to be seen as a total kangaroo court it could be in their benefit to use whatever evidence they have to punish louisville as harsh as it possibly can for a case that again is unprecedented and unlike anything that's ever happened and it's why i think patino is absolutely going to face a suspension to start next season it will be a suspension but i don't i don't even know if it'll be nine games and therefore i don't even know that it uh, those things come and go so quickly like it's like it's like the three-week suspension for being the head and i'm not advocating for more i don't even know what's right and what's wrong all i know is this the ncaa has a reputation of going easy on big names and big schools and going light on i mean and, and going hard at the other ones and when Jim Beheim is overseeing a program that did all the things that Syracuse did. And Larry Brown's overseeing a program that, um, you know, che- cheated to get a kid eligible. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard to argue otherwise because it happened. And Rick Patino's running a program that had, even if he didn't know, he's running a program where somebody who worked underneath him was throwing parties with recruits, players, strippers, and hookers. Um, and they all get relative slaps on the hand. And then you go and bury Donnie Tindall? I, I'm not saying one's right, what's wrong. I'm just saying you you don't help yourself because that's already your reputation. That you'll bury Southern Miss and bury a Donnie Tindall, but you know, Rick Patino might have to miss six games. Um 
you know, like which which what makes your stomach churn more? The stories you've heard out of Louisville or the stories you've heard out of Southern Miss? And so it, it just they don't do themselves any favors when they rule the way that they historically rule because it just enhances a um, an idea about them that has existed for a long time which is if you're big enough and powerful enough and you have enough law and you have the, the right kind of lawyers, you can, you can survive almost anything. But if you're not, um, good luck. And the idea that Donnie Tindall's sitting here with a 10-year show calls and Jim Beheim got a nine-game suspension is kind of – it hammers on that point, doesn't it? It does. And Beheim did lose. I mean, he officially lost the, you know, more than 100 victories and all that stuff in his chase against Krzyzewski. He didn't, lose his, he, didn't, he didn't lose his multi-million dollar contract. He didn't lose that. He didn't lose his championship and his banners, and I get all that. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, Tarkanian's words from three, four decades ago continue to ring true. You know, they're so mad at Kentucky, they're going to put Cleveland State, you know, on probation. I'm paraphrasing that. But, uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Like I said, um, three weeks from today, college basketball season gets underway, and there's two uh, really great games both happening like a million miles from here in Hawaii, but uh, two great games, Michigan State, Arizona, Kansas, Indiana. we got plenty of time to talk about them going forward, but uh, the Michigan State-Arizona game is going to look different than it would have otherwise looked because the Spartans are now without Gavin Schilling. They're now without Ben Carter. Both are out with knee injuries that required knee surgeries. I'm told uh, the injuries were both suffered in non-contact situations. That's usually not good. So the bottom line is this. Michigan State is now going to start the season without six of its top seven scores from last season and seven of its uh, top nine. And also their best transfer is sidelined with knee surgery. Are we sure they're going to be good? Well, you know, we we put together our top 25 and one and I put together this one to 351 ranking that went live this week. And when Ben Carter, who's the transfer, got injured uh, I had a fleeting thought that we should maybe consider dropping them down, but we didn't know the nature of Carter's injury, if and when he would return. And then they lose Gavin Schilling, who was definitely a role player last year, but expected to take a huge bump in production importance. He goes down with a non-contact injury. In theory, we could have a situation uh, in in Schilling needs surgery and all this stuff. You could have a situation where both those players are not able to play this year. Right. It's not definite. Both remember, could ben, come ben, back. ben Carter was already recovering from an ACL surgery. Yes. And Carter, to me, Carter seems more serious because of that. Um, it's the same knee. He might need to sit out the entire – because you also got to figure it's his final year. Does he want to burn the eligibility – if he's able to come back, say, January 20th, I'm throwing out a completely hypothetical date, okay? Mm-hmm. But does he want to do that, given where Michigan State season might be, how, how his rotation and roster might be coming together, or do you wait another year, play fully healthy? It's, it's going to be a tough call. These are, these are definitely interesting situations. Shilling, uh, now they're just they're very thin here. So do I think Michigan State's going to be good? I do think it's going to be good. It's now going to be really young. I'll have something on this early next week on the site. This is the the best class by rating Tom Izzo's ever had. He's got Miles Bridges, a five-star player, uh, Josh Langford, a five-star shooting guard, Cassius Winston, who is a four-star point guard, really, really uh, good. I think he'll be a terrific uh, multi-year player for the Spartans. And then you've got Nick Ward, 
the lowest ranked a power forward and a guy who is now going to have to step in and play a pretty prominent role right away for Michigan State. And let's just remind everyone that Tom Izzo, bless his heart, I love that he does this, he always schedules ambitiously. So now he's going to have a really young team going up a really tough non-conference schedule. Ultimately, I wonder how, let you know, if if Schilling and Carter do get healthy and are able to play in our back by mid-January, that would be great. It could ultimately, and Michigan State gets good, but they're they're kind of up and down to start the season. It'll prevent, I mean, it'll uh, not prevent, it will provide the NCAA selection committee with a really interesting case here because you could have two totally different teams. If Sparty is just a 500 team without these guys and then it starts to roll in Big Ten play, seeding will be uh, will be really interesting there. Ultimately, I don't know, GP. We dropped him. I mean, I, I texted you. I was like, listen, with this shilling injury, we have to drop Michigan State. There's, there, you could, they are not a valid preseason top 10 team. And in fact, the coaches poll came out this week. Sparty is a top 10 team, but I clearly those coaches put those votes in before the shilling injury came down. Plus they're going to give Izzo the benefit of the doubt. But if you told me right now that they don't come back, either of those guys and Michigan state winds up not being a top 25 team for 90% of the season, I would buy that because Izzo's teams are, it's going to be a different looking team from what he usually has perish. But he obviously usually thrives on having reliability in the post, having toughness, and you lose two experienced guys. They they now to me become the question mark of all question marks in terms of ranked teams heading into the season. No, uh, no doubt. I mean, listen, they 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 signed four top fifty players at four different positions. So like you know they're talented, um, but. I mean, they they're they're without everybody from last year, basically, and that that's it doesn't mean that they won't be good. I think they'll be good, but you know, when you start talking about you lost six of your top seven scores from last season and seven of your top nine, um, that that is hard to overcome. Even if you look at some of John Calipari's crazy talented teams at Kentucky, when they rely that heavily on all young guys, it doesn't typically go well in the regular season. They bounced into some Final Fours with with not great regular seasons, but uh, John's best teams at Kentucky, the ones that are great from start to finish, they tend to have a, a pretty good mixture of you know uniquely talented freshmen, but also a couple sophomores and a junior, or a, you know a junior and a senior. Or, you know, that, every great team he's had at Kentucky has had that kind of mix, and I say all that to say at Michigan State they're not really going to have that mix. It's it's mostly just going to be young guys that they're relying on and. Um, in college basketball, that is that is hard. It's just hard to do, especially in a league like the Big Ten. You mentioned the coaches' poll and your three fifty one. Uh, anything stand out to you in the in the coaches' poll? The three fifty one, eighteen thousand words. That was quite a homework assignment. Yeah, yeah. I'll get to the three fifty one just a second. Coaches' poll wise, it was announced Thursday. Let's remind everyone that the coaches' poll, which is put together um, by USA Today. A lot of this, the preseason one actually has some value, um, but a lot of this is, is shout out to the SIDs because these coaches cannot watch all these teams during the season. So it's I just don't even know, like like I, why do we have it? I don't know because it's always been there. I guess yeah, I that's mean, why. But like Kansas State got votes. I know. I and that's the other thing though is you could have guys really doing their guys throwing them throwing them a solid. Um, it is interesting. I mean Yale got votes and Yale's not even a top two Ivy team. It's like Princeton and. Harvard are clearly the best two teams in the Ivy this year. Um, I, I, I mean, 
I mean, I, Kansas State's not like Kansas State. They're supposed to be like, uh, like near the bottom, if not at the bottom of the Big Twelve. Yeah, I, I don't know surprises. Um, uh, geez, I mean, not a ton because I, I also think that you know why there's not a ton. Here's why there's not a ton because we all put together these preseason yes. rankings way early and then they just copy what we do. I think that's largely what happens there. I mean, Maryland to me, Maryland's not a rank. To me, Maryland's not a top 25 team. They're 21st in the poll. I, in my 351, I did get pushed back from Maryland and Buffalo fans among the most. But um, that's the only surprise, I guess, overall in the coaches' poll. I mean, nothing too much there. Within the 351, yeah, I actually 18, think every, I think every team that is in the top 25 um, of the coaches' poll is in our preseason top 25 and 1, except Maryland. And Cincinnati, and I think we might be wrong on Cincinnati. Uh, we uh, we might because I remember we debated them hard at the Final Four. I put Cincinnati at thirty. Yeah, and could be. Yeah, I mean, our top twenty-five and one flushes out with Iowa State twenty-four, West Virginia twenty-five, Wichita State twenty-six, and then twenty-seven through thirty, I go Miami, A and M, Dayton, Cincinnati, and I even admit in my rankings that. I'm almost high on A&M, relatively speaking, by default, because you want to talk about surprise in the poll. I mean, the only SEC team that's ranked is Kentucky. Right. The American, the West Coast Conference, have twice as many teams in the coaches' poll as the SEC. Um, I, I will say, in doing the 351, I mean, Florida State's 31, NC State's 32, San Diego State's 34, uh, Pitt and Florida, 36 and 37. I think there are a lot of teams that have some good talent coming back and some nice talent coming in. It was, and this thing is a beast to put together overall, but like I, Ohio State's got a lot coming back. They kicked off. Apparently the guys that transferred out weren't helping whatsoever, so they should be better. I would think Ohio State will have a huge jump. I've got Maryland at 42. I just, Mello Trimble had such a bad year last year to what he was as a freshman. They lose. You want to talk about starting over in the front court. I mean, they, they that is almost a complete rebuild from what they had last year uh, with the Terps. So I just got to I got to see them prove it overall. Um, I will admit to Buffalo fans on the podcast right now. So I've got Buffalo at 164. This was has been a team that's, that's been dis- real it's, dis- it's disrespectful. I know. I know this is something that immediately jumped out to you, Parrish, when you saw Buffalo at 164. <laughs> um they should probably be around 115, 120. They did slip through the cracks. They've got a lot coming back. So I admit my error there, but the rankings are the rankings. They're there. Can't take them back. Can't make a movement with that overall. But uh, Chicago State comes in dead last. Unfortunately, someone's got to come in last. This thing I would not wish upon anyone. But I do genuinely appreciate the the feedback. If you haven't looked at it, it's, it's on the site. I mean, every single team's got a little bit of write-up. I try and give everyone some uh some love there but yeah it's it's hours upon hours worth and i do read like people some people just you know say oh you just you know threw together the final 150 teams i do genuinely reach out to multiple coaches in every single league and just say hey listen give me an idea of you know power rank the league for me if you will um and some you know sometimes i listen to those coaches sometimes i feel i've got a pretty good idea of leagues and players and overall but a lot of this is a combination of my opinion and research with the opinions of coaches in each of these leagues. So I try and get a, a decent look overall. One thing I am pretty, uh, pretty, you know, accidentally proud of is uh, 
Ken Pomeroy did text me and said, basically, the rankings that I have here that I did in my messed up little brain are shockingly similar to what he thinks his computer rankings will be when they come out. So that should be a good sign, at least. Yeah, breaking news, Matt Norlander. What's up? Uh, Theo Pinson at North Carolina has fractured the fifth metatarsal in his right foot is out indefinitely okay (laughs) literally as we record the podcast and we have got north carolina sixth um pinson's a really really important player um fifth metatarsal you said it's the fifth one matt i hate that fifth one you know the second or third you can deal with but not the fifth you don't want the fifth one that's what i've been saying for years theo pinson of course last year um, average four and a half points, three point two rebounds in eighteen point seven minutes uh, per game. So he's a rotation player, and you don't want to lose a breakout rotation player. player. Oh yeah, breakout you have you have identified Theo Pinson as a breakout player. Yes, I mean him and Isaiah Hicks are the two. Well, players. I got bad news for you, Norlander. He has a fractured fifth Here. metatarsal. I guess I got to write up a headline on this real quick. We should probably wrap up the podcast, though. Yeah, but not before we shout out Devin Downey. What's up, Devin Downey? Shouts to you. That's, that's no one here right there. Love it. <laughs> Remember, you can uh, listen to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. The quickest way is on iTunes. Go subscribe and say nice things. We appreciate you listening. Uh, pop over to iTunes. Do that. It's the quickest way to make sure you get your hands on the latest episodes each and every week. We're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.